Good morning, ladies, and thank you for coming, and welcome to those, those who are listening via podcast. This morning, we are studying Matthew 24, which composes part of what we call the Olivet Discourse. And the Olivet Discourse is Jesus' last sermon, and it is found in Matthew 24 and chapter 25. And Grace will be leading us through chapter 25 next week. In this chapter, Jesus will tell his disciples of the signs that will precede his coming. The world will become increasingly chaotic. The disciples will endure many trials and tribulations. And Jesus gives them hope, reminding them of the promise of the salvation that awaits them. Jesus is speaking to us today. He is coming again. We are not alarmed or not to be alarmed at the chaos around us, and we are not to fear the time of his return. We are to remain faithful as the true servants of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we desire to be faithful and wise servants, women whose eyes are on you, inquiring in your temple, beholding your beauty all the days of our lives. Lord, lead us by your spirit. Lead us by your living and powerful word. Amen. So ladies, let's start by reading chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. It just sets up our chapter. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The disciples are bringing Jesus' attention to a beautiful building and buildings of the temple. And Jesus' response was not what they expected. Jesus said there will not be left one stone upon another. And we need to realize how incredible this answer must have been to the disciples. The temple was built on a mount, high, dominant over the city of Jerusalem, Walled, it was majestic in both its size and beauty. It was white, had plates of gold, and it glistened in the sunlight for miles for all who could see. It was a holy place and beloved by the Jewish people. But Jesus was declaring its demise and bringing about a seismic shift in their thinking. Worship was not about a physical temple. Jesus said earlier, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. He said elsewhere, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. In his epistles, Paul says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God. So we know from history that in 167 BC, Antioch Epiphanes IV desecrated this very temple, defiling it with a sacrifice of a pig, displacing true worship with abominable idolatry. This being a chapter that reveals the future, it is just a matter of 40 years later after this discourse, when the Roman general Titus seized Jerusalem and utterly destroyed the temple where not one stone was where it was placed. Later in the chapter, Jesus will address this time of destruction. Let's continue on and read verses 3 to 14. 
And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So the disciples are following Jesus up the Mount of Olives. All the while, they must be pondering in their mind the words spoken by Jesus about the destruction of the temple. And as they climb the Mount of Olives, they are over now looking down on the very temple that they had just pointed out to Jesus as being so magnificent and majestic. They're curious about this future. They're curious about the future. And so they come to Jesus with questions. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And we see here that Jesus starts to answer them. But he starts with a warning. See that no one leads you astray. Why? Well, because many are gonna come in his name to lead many astray. And we've talked about this rising opposition in previous chapters of Matthew. And Jesus warns his disciples, the opposition is great. And the motive and their only motive is to destroy Jesus and his gospel message. Jesus begins to reveal the signs of his coming. And here in the first couple of verses, we see spiritual darkness, spiritual deception, and unbelieving hearts that will be exposed as many fall away. In verses six to 12, what do we see? Well, we see nature convulsing with famines and earthquakes. Man's lust for power as nation rises against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Ladies, we can identify with this account. If I open the newspaper right now, I could talk about famines in Afghanistan, a worldwide pandemic, unprecedented amounts of rain in British Columbia and Egypt, a terrorist attack in Liverpool, England, tension between China and Taiwan, political conflict in Ethiopia, gang oppression in Haiti. We need to be encouraged by the command given to the disciples and it applies to us today. Do not be alarmed. Jesus tells us this is just the beginning. Then things start to intensify in verse nine. This is a harsh reality for Jesus' disciples of the future that they will face. They will be hated, they will be betrayed. 
False prophets will continue to rise and lead many astray. Death will come to some of Jesus' followers. Lawlessness is increasing. Love is growing cold. It reveals that the heart of man is desperately wicked and who can know it? Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is the broad way that leads to destruction. But again, I love the hope we find in Jesus' words in verse 13. It reads, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So who is to endure? The true disciples. Those kept by the power of God through faith. Those entering through the narrow gate that leads to life. Since these are just the birth pains, they are, they are the beginning signs of the end. And then this beautiful sign of grace in verse 14 will signal the end. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. This proclamation sets the stage for the Great Commission coming at the end of Matthew 28, where we are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. And I was remembering and was joyful about our missions week that was such an encouragement for us in this very subject. Our guest was a beautiful testimony of how God uses ordinary people living with trials and difficulties to carry an extraordinary gospel message into a suffering world. Now, we're here coming into a difficult chapter, a difficult passage in this chapter. Jesus intertwines prophecy concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming. The near event is the destruction of Jerusalem, serves as a symbol and foreshadows the more distant event, his second coming. Let's read verses 15 to 23, and this is the abomination of desolation. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great, will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And I'm going to end right there at 22. Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place spoken of by Daniel. Jesus clarifies that the complete fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy will be found in both the Roman destruction of the temple in AD 70 and in the image of the Antichrist being set up in the last days. Again, Jesus gives a warning and it's right there in verse 16. Flee to the mountains. Don't turn back. Don't hesitate. Why? 
It's to save their very lives. It's to preserve life. The horror of the violence and destruction that accompanies the abomination of desolation will be unlike anything ever seen. The days are shortened, and this gives evidence of God's sovereign intervention to preserve life. He is the God of our salvation. Let's continue to read verses 23 to 28, and it will end this section. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In this section, as Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples what his return will not look like. And I want to quote Charles Quarles. He says, if someone has to tell you about it, Christ has not returned. If someone attempts to use miracles to convince you, Christ has not returned. If his location is distant or secret, Christ has not returned. If his glory is not displayed for the whole world to see, Christ has not returned. So let's look at what his return will look like. Let's read verses 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will shake. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Genesis 1:14 reads, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons. Let them be lights to give light upon the earth. So here we see the darkening of creation is a sign of his coming. The heavens shake. Then in great glory, the Son of Man appears in heaven. Can you imagine the sight of the light of the world lighting up the heavens and the earth? King Jesus will return for all the world to see. Unannounced, miraculously done, obvious to all, and with all his glory in full display. And what authority King Jesus returns with. He sends out his angels. He commands the gathering of the elect from the four winds. He restores the faithful and he establishes his new kingdom. Let's take a look at verses 32 and 33, which is the lesson of the fig tree. From the fig tree, you learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. 
So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I've just made this concise. The lesson of the fig tree is for his disciples to pay attention to the signs that announce his coming. His words that foretell his coming will be fulfilled. Therefore, the disciples and all believers confidently watch. We keep our eyes looking onto Jesus and our hearts prepared. Let's read the final section of chapter 24. No one knows the day, that day and hour. Verses 36 through to 51. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Only the Father knows the day down to the exact hour when Jesus will come. That knowledge is not in any created heavenly being or in any created human being. Therefore, don't spend time trying to estimate or calculate Christ's return. For as in the days of Noah, while men disregarded 120 years of preaching, rejecting God's divine revelation, the flood of judgment will come upon them. They will be completely unaware. This type of godless living will be the reality in the end times. Mankind immersed in depravity and revelry will be unprepared for Jesus' return. It is a fearful thing for us to consider being alongside someone and one of you disappears, taken, gone. The reality is some will be saved and some will perish. So how then are we to live as his true disciples? 
Well, Jesus says, therefore, stay awake. Therefore, you must also be ready. What does this mean? What does it look like? Well, the answer is in his given parable. There is a faithful, wise servant contrasted here with a wicked one. One is found doing the master's work. The other is disregarding it. One is anticipating the master's return. The other puts it out of his mind. And we can, we can do this by using previous things that we've learned in the chapter of Ma- in the book of Matthew. One is found loving his neighbor, the other ignoring him. One is found caring for the poor, the other hoards his possessions. One will be quick to forgive, and the other holds grudges. One will not be deterred by hard teaching, the other will walk away. One will be caring for the lowly, the other seeking status. One is taking up his cross, the other is living for self. One honors his master's authority, and the other despises it. The faithful servant anticipates his master's return, and his reward is given by the authority of the master. The wicked servant lives in light of his master's delay, and he is judged and cast out with the hypocrites. So we need to be anticipating Christ's return. We need to daily keep our eyes on him, desiring to become more like him. We need to be heeding the command of the Great Commission and sharing the gospel message to a perishing people. We are to remain faithful as the true servants of Jesus Christ. I want to end. I want you to listen to these words written by a man who sat with Jesus on the Mount of Olives and heard the words of the Olivet Discourse. Let's listen to Peter. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. 2 Peter 3, verses 11 to 14. Let's pray. Lord, may your word dwell in us richly, teaching us how to live godly lives and keeping our eyes set on your glorious return. We pray for those who don't know you, that you, Lord, would do a divine work in their hearts, allowing them to see you and to be transformed into a new creation and transferred into your glorious kingdom. Lord, we ask that you use us as your humble servants to stay, remain faithful, to be found faithful, but to be doing your work. So I pray, Lord, that the word would come out our mouths as we try to uh, proclaim your, your, your glorious gospel message to the people around us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.